Do you want to look handsome as fuck? Well, then you should try Combat Comb Over for your hair and your face and your beard. And then once you have all that additional swagger, you need something to carry it around in. Use the Nut Ruck by Arbor Arms. And while you're uh, carrying that nut ruck, you should also remember to keep yourself as fresh as possible because you never know what might happen when you're looking that good. So keep yourself some body powder from Hollywood Powder Company. Use our discount code SMOKEPIT on all of our sponsors to save yourself some money. Welcome to the Smoke Pit. Today, joining us, good friend of mine, Justin Egan. How the hell are you? I'm doing fairly, fairly well. You beautiful bastard. You look at you all sexy <laughs> with your uh, tattoos and your slicked hair. Just like the, the classic, just the classic Marine look, you know? Yeah, I try to, I try to do something here, you know? Yeah. I, do something. <laughs> I don't know. So uh, Justin and I have uh, a lot in common. We both have fairly large penises and uh, we That's love true. a good book, you know, and a, a nice glass of scotch. Mm. God. <laughs> Justin was also a Marine. He also spent some time in the, the same shitholes that I did. And he's also a national award-winning poet and author. Published, yeah. uh, I think your seventh book just came out? It did, yes. Yesterday. Adahi. 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 And uh, tell us a little bit about your background. So, uh, Justin Egan. I was born and raised in South Florida. I joined the Marine Corps in 2008. Went to Afghanistan twice. Broke my shoulder, got NJP'd. <laughs> uh, my first deployment, I was a combat replacement. Uh, my second deployment, I went to Sangin. My first deployment was in Marja, second deployment in Sangin. Got out in 2012. Um, came back home to Florida. Did my thing for a little bit. Kind of hit a hit like a catalyst of what to do with my life. And yeah. Started writing poetry and it's right seemed on. to like work out and just two Florida boys with large penises and sang in Afghanistan, you know? Yeah. Now we're sitting in Virginia. Now we're sitting here in Virginia <laughs> <laughs> on a podcast. <laughs> Love to see it. <laughs> so uh if you don't mind me asking, uh what'd you get NJP'd for? So I got NJP'd for underage drinking. Um, what? Yeah. So <laughs> typical, right? It's a pretty yeah. typical thing. but uh, The most stereotypical Marine thing ever. Right. But the problem is my story that goes with it is not the most typical uh, thing ever. Uh, I, I actually met, we're in Virginia, which is exciting because this is where I got arrested at. Um, <laughs> I got arrested in um, Chesterfield County, Virginia, um, because... I, they had to evacuate the Pocahontas State Park because of my prank phone call. Whoa. Yeah. An absolute menace to society. Menace, dude. <laughs> Straight to society. They're, they evacuate everybody. All the campers, everybody camping. Don't they you had think Pocahontas' people have been through enough? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're currently in the area where uh, George Washington's boyhood home is honestly, I think it's like 10 minutes down the road. Ooh, that's so, tight. Yeah, so if you want to see where George Washington grew up, um, somewhere this in this area, Pocahontas was uh, was kidnapped, uh, which you know, we take a very strong stance against human trafficking in the smoke pit. Very anti that. Uh, however, it does give me a little bit of solace to know, you know, when I'm you know stumbling around intoxicated in one form or another, that I may be peeing on the same tree that George Washington or Pocahontas may have peed on. Hundreds of years ago. That is a solid point because there are a lot of trees and they probably drink a lot of water. Well, I mean, one would hope they were hydrated. You right. Know? Yeah. Like when you have you know, history to make, you, you, you at least want to be pissing clear, you know? George Washington's piss is probably the most hydrated piss of ever. I mean, that guy, <laughs> his piss is probably like straight clear. Like That wooden teeth motherfucker probably put like <laughs> pot leaves in his dentures. So when he drank water, he'd just get hella high. So, oh, no, I haven't read the book yet. Did I give anything away? No, 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 no. no. In, in the book, Adahi smokes marijuana, right? Yeah. But he smoked, but I call it hemp seed hops. Yeah. Like all one word, hemp seed hops, uh, because... Uh, the term marijuana hadn't been invented until 1956 by Betty White. Exactly. So yeah. marijuana hasn't been invented. You know, cannabis, maybe. I don't know. Hemp, yeah. But see, the thing is, is when you... when So back then, alcohol was prominent, right? Yeah. So they, but they had barley and hops. So marijuana, if you look at the nuggets, it kind of looks the same as like barley hops a little bit. Yeah. So for Adahi and their Native American tribe, they call it hemp seed hops. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I, so uh, logically thinking, at least I, I thought about. I don't know. I, no, I no, thought, totally I, I thought makes it made sense. sense. I, I want to explore this. I just have a, a quick question to, <laughs> to ask to the uh, executive producer. 
the uh, founding fathers got like rip roaring drunk while they were drinking, uh, drinking and making, you know, you know, the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. They left like a ridiculous bar tab. Could you look that up for us? They drank. I think it was something ridiculous, like like twenty bottles of whiskey. And, oh, like, when when they actually won, when the war was over and they won. Yeah, and they're mm. just like like we just went to war with the most powerful empire that's ever existed up until that point in time. Right. Let's get drunk. Yeah. <laughs> like, what did we do? I think I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Because um, I, I went to the uh, the inn that they had their party at, and I had dinner there because it's right so next cool. to Constitution Hall. That's cool. But uh, so why he's looking that up, would you tell us a little bit uh, about your book, kind of what the premise is? Uh, don't give any major spoilers away. Yeah. So Adahi <clears throat> uh, is book one of a trilogy set that I've created. It's called the Et Omnia Trilogy. Um, Adahi is book one, and it takes place in the 1770s. Actually, it starts off in 1773. You follow Adahi, which is a half-native, half-English young man. He's 22 when the book starts off in the summer of 1773. And uh, the book starts off in the very first paragraph. You learn that as his mother was dying, she told him about a long lost blood uncle that lives up in Boston that he needs to go find and, you know, we'll teach him and we'll maybe open him up to that side of his uh, life and uh, his father's side of his life that he's never really known before. And his mother never really spoke about, but um, on her deathbed, she tells him this is where you need to go. And this is a person you need to find because, and she basically apologizes to him for holding all that stuff in and never telling him about it up until that point but uh yeah basically just kicks off there and Addy he's a super he's a super violent um super fun individual i mean i say super like oh, it's a, but um yeah it's i i'll read the back of it i feel like that's that's yeah that, let's see it because i i I'll, I'll seriously spoil this whole fucking book dude <laughs> i'm the fucking worst so Adahi. In the summer of 1773, Adahi embarked in search of his father's blood brother, Major Thomas Young of Boston, per his mother's dying wish. Equipped with a beautiful black mare named Raven and an arsenal of weapons with a skill set to wield them, he quickly finds the atmosphere across the 13 colonies is not how he remembered in his youth. The quick-tempered, half-native, half-English young man encounters friends, enemies, lovers, drunkards and powerful elites on his fortuitous journey soon he inadvertently uncovers the truth about his past and the ominous secrets history has hidden away from civilization that sounds pretty fucking baller it's pretty fun so i was mistaken it was after um the uh the war and uh, it was in 1787 right before they signed the constitution okay. is what it was not declaration and they ran up a seventeen thousand two hundred some odd dollar bar tab in today's money. Oh my god! So there were around fifty some odd guests, and so if you do the math, that breaks down to a little over three hundred dollars worth of booze per person. Oh my god! And mind you, this was back in like tavern days. You know yeah. what I mean? Like they didn't have like Don Perignon or fucking nor water really either. So they were <laughs> drinking everything alcoholic, right? So they were yeah. getting fucked up. Dude. Like there there wasn't a bunch of ice in their mixed drinks, you know? No. No, yeah. they, they, they knew how to party. Like, that's... Yeah, so imagine if you were just, like, you got just, like, 50 of your closest friends, gave them each $300, and was like, you can only spend this on alcohol. Right. No ice. <laughs> no fucking ice. You're not bringing fucking ice, dude. Yeah. Like, hey, can, can we order a pizza? All right, three pizzas. <laughs> Reciting the slices very small. We are only ordering tomatoes and bacon. No, potatoes and bacon. <laughs> the only things that they ate back then. Bring it. We got mutton right? and we got depression. That is it. <laughs> Do not bring the cabbage. Oh, uh, when were pizzas invented? I know they were invented in oh, Naples, Italy, because I went there. It had to have been way long ago, because you know somebody figured yeah. it out. They, they, you know, they just like slapped some dough, threw some sauce on it, put some cheese like on accident, and it got hot, and they were like, "Damn, this is fucking pretty good." There is uh, a lot of random history facts out there that will really blow your mind, but well, let's get into that into a second. Uh, tell us a little bit about the rest of your writing career before, yeah. I, before I forget. You know, you're a, a national award-winning author. Um, so tell us a little bit about that and then how you got into that because that's pretty cool. Yeah. And we'll, we'll save the crazy history facts as a, as a reward for everybody who, <laughs> who sticks around. <laughs> yeah, so uh, basically I got out of the Marine Corps in uh, uh, April 
2012 and um you know i i started working for pepsico down in wilmington north carolina right out of the marine corps i mean right out of the marine corps i started working for for pepsico and i started delivering pepsi and that was you know i did that for about two months and i got i i kind of woke up one day and i was like damn i'm gonna i'm gonna wake up when i'm like 34 and i'm gonna be still working for pepsi i'm gonna be still doing this shit so i need to like figure my life out and go back home to florida because this isn't it so that was like step one, right? Country roads. Yeah. So I was like, I gotta get the fuck out of here. Take me home. <laughs> Although we don't have any mountains in Florida. No. It's no. uh if you get a hill that's like five feet tall, that's a mountain to us. Yeah, and you take you t- you take a skateboard to it. Oh yeah, for sure. For and then sure. like a chubby, like uh former like army MP now who's now a security guard, like chases you off the property, <laughs> shakes your fists. God I you're not I, supposed to be doing this. I love a good fist shaking, you know? <laughs> like I haven't seen somebody do a fist shake in so long, dude. I do oh one God. unironically at least once a month. You're like, yeah, damn you kids. <laughs> you can do it to like 7-Eleven guy. Be like, you guys have any more coffee? No, we're out. <laughs> Just ah! Angrily. It's ah. like every time the kids make a new word that I have to Google. <laughs> oh, my God, dude. Don't even start on this shit, dude. <laughs> The yeeting and the... No, I like yeeting. I, that's not I like bad. that one. That's, not, that's the first one that just came to my mind, so yeah. I had to use it. But that's, that one's not one. bad. Yeah, it's not bad, you know, that's because we can use it, you know? Like, I'm going to yeah. eat that motherfucker over the wall. I'm going to fucking yeet this grenade through that murder hole, you <laughs> Like know? that picture of that guy <laughs> yeah. that's, like, looking at his friend, like that, that classic meme where he's like... Yes. And his just friend's love like, in his eyes. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> I, I just want somebody to love me as much as this guy loves his friend throwing a grenade about to kill somebody. And I, I made ran, that right? meme. You you did? Yeah, I made that. That's meme. fucking amazing, dude. <laughs> That's great. Is that, see, that comes full circle, right? It really does. It really does. Yeah. So, so um, decided to start writing. So yeah, I, I basically got a Marine Corps, and about I started going back to school, and I I started to like really kind of fuck up a lot in school, and I really do really well. And I was like, damn, this really sucks. My mind wasn't right. You know, I was really suppressing a lot of, of what happened overseas in Afghanistan. I didn't talk to anybody about it. I, I really pushed a lot of it down. And I, uh, you know, did what, you know, every greatest generation man did. You buried that shit. Oh. <laughs> I, you know, what every single greatest generation man did, right? They yeah. buried that shit. They didn't talk about it ever again, dude. Yeah, the, uh, I, it was, uh, a comedian that I heard said uh, something to it a bit. It's like, if I just push this down deep inside, one day I'll die and I won't have to deal with it. Right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, but the problem is, is me, it started to affect my, like, you know, my attitude and my well-being and my mental health and everything. And I had a dream one time that I was walking through the Pacific Northwest and the big redwood forests and the ground. Beautiful. And the, the right. And the ground yeah. was like... um What's that word? It was horny. Uh, yeah, uh, always. But <laughs> the ground was like uh, frost. Uh, what's that word? Frost. Permafrost. Yeah. Perma- permafrost. It was like permafrost uh, okay, on the yeah. ground. You know what I mean? And I was walking through with no shoes through the redwood forest. And this is all a dream. And I and I, as I'm walking through, I look up and I see these like basically like war torn, bloodied and like battered like Native Americans like standing in the trees, like on branches all around me. Yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck? And they're like. They bring that and basically they're like they put their finger to their lips and they go and they do like this shh motion, right? Yeah. And then I woke up and I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, what that? the fuck? What the fuck was that? So I what wrote it, was that? I wrote it down in like this beautiful like poem sort of thing, right? Yeah. And I sent it, and this was like 2014. I sent it to my friends and they're like, dude, this is really fucking good. This is amazing. This is beautiful. I really like the way, you know, whatever. I got a lot of good responses back. So me being me and being who I am from South Florida, I've always been a a huge fan of hip hop and lyrics and writing. Yeah, you know, for sure. For sure. You know, I don't know what it was about the late nineties and early two thousands, but everybody was like a Tupac disciple. Right. Yeah, of course. And like I, Hail Mary. Tupac like, says changed lives. <laughs> he said, I may not change the world, but I'm going to spark the brain that will change the world. I'm paraphrasing, so don't quote me on that. But yeah. it's something along the lines of that, right? Like he said that he'll he's going to be the one that's going to spark the change in people. So, yeah, he died at 24. Yeah, you know he was a, a, a musical rap artist, and yeah, he was like very pro prolific, and he was like maybe a little bit over the top and uh, aggressive. But at the end of the day, man, he had a powerful message uh, beyond what his music said, you know, and he had a powerful voice and he had an understanding of life beyond, um, a lot of people have. And 
I've always looked to Tupac for insight. And when I was a little kid, I always saw him on TV. He was always, you know, like I said, a very prolific person. He was always on the news, always this and that. And when I was a little kid, my mom, I wanted my first music album. My mom bought me a Tupac album. All Eyes on Me, Double Disc Edition, 1996. Yeah, you had to get the double disc. I had to get it. I I told her, I was like, you know, she goes, you know, save your money from your chores and I'll buy you whatever album you want. And I went to Walmart, I bought Tupac, and that was it. From then on, dude, Tupac is it, right? So I think that that in me, knowing that like poetry could be an outlet, right, of like getting that out because Tupac did it. So I was like, all right, well, if he can write poetry and get his shit out there and get his transgressions and his pent-up shit out, maybe I can do the same thing. But, you know, maybe use Afghanistan as my – motivator in like substance to like use to to get my shit out there and of course you know i i i did you know i just i started writing and i I basically committed to myself i started writing a few poems i wrote a poem called not today and it's about um an ied going off a few feet in front of you and not killing you yeah so it's called not today and the whole poem is like not today blah 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 blah, not today blah, blah, blah 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 not today and at the very end you know, death will not see you today. Like you may, like you will see horrors. Yeah. You will experience loss, but you will not die. Not today. Not today. At not least. today. Yeah. At least, right? Not today, at least. And then in the poem, the guy, you know, me or whatever, he turns around after the smoke all clears and he sees a crater. He's like, "Fuck!" He turns around. He sees his boys. He sees the sun. He smells the air. He says to himself, "Not today, motherfucker." Yeah. You know, and that's like, that was the very first poem I've ever wrote because that one, you know, I've been on the ground, IEDs going off. You know, I've, I've been, I've had IDF drop on my fucking head, dude. I've, I've been in trucks where, where, where IEDs are going off underneath the trucks. I've been fucking shot at it. You know, all these different things that really just threw it all into this one poem, right? And it felt really good about it. And I started putting it out there. And that is what led me, you know, everybody going, this is fuck, this poem, not today, is like, I felt that, dude. I feel yeah. that in my, in my soul. Like, I've been there. Like I've stepped on IDs. I've sent to my friends with you know one leg or no legs, whatever the case is. You know, and they lay right in. They're like, "Fuck, you need to you need to follow that. You need to pursue that." So I did, and I spent the summer of 2017, basically May, June, and July, writing my first book. Honestly, I'd say summer 2017, arguably top three sexiest summers in the last decade. Oh, it was a great summer, dude. Yeah, great. I mean, great summer. I mean, I had. That's when me and my girlfriend, my the, my baby mother, and my, the the mother of my son, you know, that's when yeah. me and her started really hanging out and really getting it, you know, getting into love was in the air. Yeah, you know, and we uh and pheromones were in the water. Yeah, something was, dude. Thanks EPA. <laughs> Man, if only we hadn't dismantled the EPA. <laughs> the EPA. EPA. Why does Grandpa keep saying EPA? <laughs> Fucking Simpsons movie's great, dude. Um, EA Sports. It's in the game. Dude, that was always like legendary when you were Did a kid. Did just throw right? you back a little bit? Yeah. It's like uh, like the pixelated uh, NCAA guys running around. It's cool <laughs> the NCAA actually had their names on it at one point back yeah, in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they're just like, we can't give athletes money. Yeah, fuck you guys. Thanks for making us tons of money, but uh, get the fuck out of here. Yeah, sorry you blew out your ACL at 20 years old, and now your sports career is over, and you lost your athletic scholarship. Right. You're spiraling depression. The <laughs> army won't even take you. The army won't even take you. That's low. If the yeah. army won't take you, dude, that is. I mean, it's funny. I I tried to go to the army when I was seventeen. My mom told me no. Great mom. I know. She yeah. was like, she was like, no, 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 no. Something better will come along. Yeah. And the Marine Corps was like, hey, hey, hey. and I was like, from oh, the halls of is this, is this that something better? <laughs> no. But um, God, in the Marine Corps, him is such a banger, isn't it, dude? I, I was, I actually was driving past the Marine Corps Museum on the way here. It's and, like, uh, yeah, right up the road, yeah. And I, and I turned it on. I turned on the Marine Corps him, and I was like, this is a blast. War boner activate, dude. Right? Pants are just like tenting up. I'm like, what's going on? You do that sound effect again? Oh, I fucking love it. Just keep it. <laughs> just use it for soundbite now, dude. Kill boner is push to start. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, so, I just I just put that poem in the book, and I I basically sent my I paid like seven hundred dollars to this lady to edit my book, and she sent me back a bunch of stuff, and she goes, I don't know how to edit this. You already really edited it really well, and I was like, why the why the fuck do you take my money? Yeah, but um. You know, she, but then that, that all got Did done. Did she at least include some feet pics for the, uh, the oh, price? Oh, she was like 72. That would have been weird. My and question still stands. No. But um, 
It would have been. I don't know. Her name is. Uh, I don't want to say her name on here, but uh, she was an old lady. But Betty White. Betty. Yeah, it's Betty White for sure. But uh, she. Uh, I did that. I, I published my first book, and I, you know, because I my first book, I had a lot of support from like my Marine Corps friends, right? That were like, you know, some friends that were going to uh, my my friend Mike. He was going to uh, uh, Emporia State University in Kansas, yeah. and he was like, "Dude, come here and." do a book tour, like a book signing and do a speaking event, read some poems. And I was like, fuck yeah. And my buddy was going to American university in DC and he was getting his uh, master's there. And he goes, yo, come to American. I got you hooked up with a theater room. You know, the people here, they got it all ready to go. They bought like 50 year books already. I was like, awesome. That's pretty dope. Really cool. And my other buddy, he lives in Durham, North Carolina. And his last name is Durham. Which I really think that his family yeah. like owns the city, but he's like low key not fucking telling me. Like I, I ask him every time, yeah. and he's like, he's like, nah, bro, nah. So I'm like, dude, you're lying. What I notice about that is there are a lot of branches in a family tree, right? Because um, for for the OG fans uh, from season one, uh, EP Mike, his uh, one of his ancestors is Francis Scott Key, the guy who wrote the uh, the Star Spangled Banner. Yeah. And so it's just kind of kind of crazy to see how like the family goes. I mean, he might be related to you know whoever the, the city was named after, but you know, maybe his great 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 uncle, you know, fucked the maid. And got I really ostracized. do think that his because yeah. I because I feel like he's like you know he has money and stuff. You know yeah, I mean? like I think he's just like nah, bro. You know, like I yeah. think he's like low key like nah, he's like he's like not like a shame, but he's like he doesn't flaunt it. He doesn't flaunt it exactly. Yeah, he's yeah, a very yeah. humble humble. But he's That's very good. he's very cool. He's one of my best friends, man. He's really really cool, but he's he's a really humble person. I just so I just fuck with him. I think I really do think his family like owns the <laughs> shit, right? So but, you go um, to the press tour. But and, I went to the press tour, yeah. did everything, and basically on my last leg, I was in D.C. I got a text message from my girlfriend that said, bum, 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 I'm pregnant. And I was like, oh, shit. Wait, wait, so was it like dot, 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 or did she say bum, bum, bum? No, she, it was like in my mind, <laughs> I woke up and I saw that pregnant. I closed my eyes and I heard bum, 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 and I opened my eyes back up and I go, oh, wait, it says what I thought it said. <laughs> but uh, I got up and the first thing I did, I called my dad. And, and me and my mom have uh, – me and my mom – have a really great relationship but for some reason i had to call my dad you know what i mean i didn't call my mom i called my dad i was like dad well he's the one who can most relate to the exact the emotion dad, right yeah that's kind of maybe that yeah. was like the subconscious right i was like dad you're gonna be a grandfather he's like what i was like you're gonna be a granddad he's like really i was like yeah he goes that's great news <laughs> i was like why is it great news that's dude, such you a know? guy conversation but like yeah. here let me give you this life-changing news and he's like really yeah he's like really i'm like yeah he's like oh all right you know i was like all right cool was okay so now was it really interrogative question mark or was it just really no punctuation i think it was like really like what because that, that makes a difference. Like if it was just really with no period or question mark, I think because like, that's sassy. <laughs> I think he was. I think he was just more like, or less. Really, like, bro? Really? Like, no, I think it was like more or less. Like, wait, did you really say what I think you just yeah. said? Because you know, I've like here the Florida response. A word. A word. <laughs> yeah. Cool, bro. But uh, no, my I I see you. Yeah, I see you, bro. I see you. My dad. He was he was really cool about it, man. I was really happy, and then I got back on my book tour, you know, and. My first book came out, and then uh, David Rose hit me up. David Rose, author of um, No Joy uh, and author of um, Verses uh, Through Sand and Time. Uh, Which is super funny because, like, you know, one of the first things that come to mind when you hear that is Ode to Joy, right? But he was, like, the antecedent of that. He was yeah. like, nobody gets joy. Right, yeah. And his book is fucking amazing, man. He's a, he's a, he's a very, very, very talented writer. He's also an award-winning uh, poet as well uh, from Marine Heritage Foundation as well. But um, he hit me up with like, uh, he was like, yo, I'm going on this road trip tour with this army veteran named Leo Jenkins. He's an army ranger. And he, yeah, yeah, yeah. he just wrote a poetry book. And he's also he's also an acclaimed writer. But this is his first poetry book. And this is my first poetry book. Your first poetry book. Let's all get together and go read some fucking poetry. And I'm I was like, it, yeah. fuck yeah, dude, let's go. So I, I, I hopped on. I flew here to D.C. in the middle of 2018, Memorial Day 2018. And I went on like a week and a half long tour with them and came back. My son was born on July 10th. Baller. Baller. And then uh, a week after that, I published my second book. And then I started writing on my third book and then, you know, just moving along and da 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 da, working, you know, landscaping jobs. And I published, and after a while, I published my third book, Art of Warrior Poetry. And then I, and I submitted that to the Marine Corps Heritage Foundation. That won the 2019 Robert A. Gannon Award. 
And then the next year when I wrote my fourth book, The Sun Rises in Helmand, yeah. which is a f- 11 poem love letter to the Helmand province, that won the 2020 Robert Again Award for Poetry. And then I wrote two more books, two more poetry books, the From Now Until Death I Shall, which is more like a mantra of sorts. And From Now Until Death I Shall is like my first and my only non-war poetry book. It had, talks a lot about like love, uh, like sex, um, other things in there, you know. And then yeah. my final poetry book is called War in Select Poems. And that one I kind of tried to mimic um, an old school vinyl um, with the f- side A being shorter verse poems. Yeah, yeah, And then yeah. side B being two very longer verse poems. It makes sense. So it's I, I try to have some some sort of like fun and uniqueness with my books. If you if you you know you've seen them, they're all different colors. Yeah, they have their own themes. Yeah, they're know? all very like I try to do different things with my with my books. But yeah, so that's do you basically. Have, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you yeah. off. Uh, do you have a uh, a favorite poem that you've written? Yes. Would you Would you mind giving us a uh, a reading of that? Yeah, no, that's that's no so problem. As you you pull that up, I will entertain our fans with a little bit of beatboxing. Yes. Yeah, that's that's yeah that's that's what I want to read at the end. <laughs> uh, yes, we we got those facts pulled up for you first, but uh, Justin is pulling up his selection, and so stand by for this word from our sponsors. If you have ever deployed to the People's Republic of Atropia, visit www.atropia.us for all the sweet merchandise that your first sergeant doesn't want you to have. Remember, the most powerful nation on earth that has never been defeated by the U.S. Army in any battle, real or fictional. And we're back. Thanks for sticking with us. Justin, kick it. This poem is called Too Much Time, and it's from now, or it's from From now until death, I shall. My fifth book. Too little time in this life. Abundant plight. Minor strides. Erroneous minds. Leaders are crime. Too little time to allow them in your mind. Too little time to refuse your purpose. Too little time to keep your head down. The time is now to direct desire duly. During dark days, diligently dedicate your soul. Death dawns when you abandon yourself. Make time yours. Assess adversity. Allow availability to consume you. My time is your time. Time stands still once broken down. For time is an illusion in our minds. Our minds can see what the eyes cannot. Constraints deceive the fools whose minds are closed with locked doors refusing to be set free. Afraid of unknowns, afraid of the truth, Afraid they'll never have that fiery dispute. Where constraints are broken, setting free the true essence of what it means to be human. Sincere who walks this earth, whose love equals oceans, now constraints are open. All the time is ours. Too little time to worry about societal binds. Freedom to move, freedom to think, freedom is on the brink. The corrupts create collapse. Countering culture's peak progress, Pausing paradigms, producing paradoxes, too much time to waste. Actionable consequences lie ahead if each moment we used in vain. Too much time to waste. Too much time not to take that chance. Too much time not to have a peaceful space. Too much time to allow yourself to wane. Too much time to coincide. Basically, what I'm saying is, go live your fucking life. Brother man, well done. I'm glad I was sober for that because that might have blown my mind more than it already did. I don't know. I'm 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 like elated. I did not fuck that up. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, stuttering is the worst, oh, isn't it? Dude, I have such a bad stammer sometimes, man. Especially like when you're trying to talk shit. Like you can't roast somebody and stutter in the middle of it. It's so bad. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> yeah, that's like the equivalent of like fumbling the the football on the one yard line and then just getting rocked. You know? Right. And you're like. And you get back to the locker room and you're like, you fucking idiot. <laughs> so uh, thank you for sharing that with us. Um, clearly, there there was a very powerful message there. Um, and I, I feel like that's the kind of thing that you could read more than once and get a different meaning from. Because as you read things, like your mind will key on to certain things. And then that will go into your, your more um, subconscious processing, right? And if that cue is already full, sometimes you miss things. That's why when you reread books... Or rewatch movies, you like you pick up on something you missed the first time. 
because uh, you know our, our brain is you know a powerful supercomputer ever created. However, you know it does have its limits, and so I, I would highly encourage everyone to check out Justin's uh, not only his uh, his literary works like Adahi, which is available now on Amazon and uh, Kindle and, and other platforms, uh, but also check out the poetry books. Uh, I'm not going to say that you know this should be your shitter read, but like that's where I do a lot of reading. Is what, what yeah, they're, they're like coffee. T- you know, yeah. I, I've kind of I, I created them. I designed them to be a way that they're not meant to do. You grab it and you pick it up and you finish it. That's not you know, it's not. It's for you to take something from every day, right? It's like yeah. a it's like a, a daily book, right? You take it, you read a poem a day, or you read you know on the subway, yeah, or waiting for a meeting to start, or, you know, or yeah. I've had people message me and they go, "I keep this on my table." And I read one poem a day before I go to work. And I try to take something from that. That's what people say to me. So that's what I say to people, you know, like do that. You know, buy the, if you want to read the poetry and, and you don't like poetry, but you're, you like me, you know, yeah. and you're like, I like this guy, but I'm not really a fan of poetry, but I don't really know. Maybe I'll give it a shot. Right. And you read one of them and you pick up one of the books. Listen, like I said earlier, I price them on, I price my poetry books on Amazon pretty low because I don't, I just want people to read it. Right. So if you read, if you pick it up, I'm not asking, you know, demolish the read immediately yeah but like give one poem a shot maybe give it maybe give it twice give it two if you don't like it put it down and it's not going to go anywhere he does no rushing it you know it's yeah it's an emotional soul searing sort of thing it's not for you to be like all right i read it i'm done what's next it's for you to read it and go what can i take from this and i feel like uh people misuse literary art quite frequently because you don't buy a painting or a poster or you know a a decoration and just stare at it intensely for you know 45 days straight right and so you've got everything out of it and like no like you put it on the wall and you glance at it occasionally and you look and you're like fuck yeah that's badass right exactly i mean that's you know it's that's that's why i've i've, I've done it this way because i i can make a poetry book that's like fucking huge right i could put 300 poems in a book but it's like dude that's nobody's gonna read that. You know what I mean? They, yeah. they, they might because you know they're they're like my my fans will. But if you've never heard of me, you're not gonna go pick up a 300 page poetry book. You're gonna go pick up a 25 page poetry book yeah. and it has 11, 10 poems in there. And those are gonna be just like boom, 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 every single one. You know, and it's just yeah. like, that's what it is. And don't let the you know the I know there's a lot of machismo that goes around the military. We all think that like you know when we're not cuddling each other for warmth on a frigid night you know we all try to act uber masculine uh so don't don't think that uh you know poetry is uh something that uh, you have to surrender any of your masculinity for because uh you know we all know the warrior poet ice cube once say uh something to the effect of any day that does doth not require a kalashnikov was a good day very true <laughs> it's very true and uh little little murdering of generation kill there yeah and you know, I've I've made the poetry violent. You know, it's very yeah. violent. You know, it's very gritty. It's violent. It's mean. It's <laughs> nasty. It's a very just just you know, it's it's straightforward, blunt fucking poetry. Listen, I was in the Marine Corps. I went to Afghanistan twice. I looked for IEDs, and my poetry re- reflects that, and like wholeheartedly. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so something that we talked about in our uh, our pre-interview was that it is very difficult sometimes to take things that you visually only saw for a split second so they only exist as an echo in your mind right and then translate that into words and uh, i'm over here with my um well they don't sponsor us so i'm not going to say the name but my energy drink with a very bright pink uh raspberry uh flavor and it's a very particular hue that um i don't know why i instinctively reach for this every time i go it's my favorite flavor i think the the color is very appealing However, we were discussing that this is very similar to another color yeah. that uh, has been burned into your mind. Yeah. And so when you're in Afghanistan or Iraq or whatever future conflict, these geriatrics that won't ever get out of office lead us into, um, people are going to get exploded. Yeah. It's just a, a, an unfortunate fact. And depending on your proximity to that, you may experience that in a very uh, Jackson Pollock-esque manner. If you will, and so uh, we've used the term "pink mist" in a memory so often that I think that people forget exactly what it means. Yeah. And when an IED goes off, it is so incredibly violent, and the explosion goes up, and you know there, it's there, and then a second later, it's just a cloud of dirt that's floating away, and then ten, fifteen seconds later, 
the only evidence to show that that level of violence occurred was the crater in the ground and unfortunately sometimes the body parts that litter it. Yeah. And so would, would you walk us through that, uh, what we were talking about earlier a little bit, like what what are some of the images that, that you would say are kind of like seared in your mind that have just kind of become a part of you and have influenced your work? Because I feel like there's a lot of people out there that can relate to it and then there are a lot of people out there that although they may have not experienced that, they're either uh, curious or sympathetic and we want to ask that in a delicate way because it's like you don't want to always just be like, hey, man, like, you know, tell me about the worst day of your life. How was fucking combat every day when it was terrible? <laughs> yeah. So, like, could you, could you walk us through that? Yeah. Um, so, on my second, my first deployment, I really, I could say I genuinely never ran, ac- ran across anything that really etched itself into my brain um, visually other than every basically every explosion of IED that we found. I mean... But the bad shit all happened on my second deployment, and it all happened very quickly. Um, my first mission, my first mission out, we we took contact from these two compounds across a little dried out wadi, and fuck those guys, fuck those guys. But their fucking kid was in the field, in between. So there's these two compounds. There's like fifty or sixty yards in between them. They had, yeah. they had like a like a field, like a cornfield or something in, be, in between. It wasn't that high. Like there was like maybe like knee high or whatever. Probably grew gay trees. Some, yeah, they're, yeah. they're, they're drawing homo trees. Um, Corn growing cops for their butts. Yeah. Fucking. <laughs> I'll go into it in a second. But uh, basically. I'm sorry. Don't mind me. Yeah, we were we were uh, trying to figure out. And uh, so on my second deployment, I was the platoon guide of my platoon as, yeah. a, as a corporal. And it was like Lieutenant Gunny, then me. And then like everybody else, right? So like uh, I, because my sergeant got NJP'd right before we left, and so he requested I took his position yeah. as a guide, and the the gunny and the platoon uh, leader were like, okay, yeah. So I took the, I, I took his position. I was a guide, like navigator, sweep team commander. Like I got a bunch of responsibilities like immediately, like oh shit, like immediately as soon as we got there, and I was like, oh fuck, yeah. I became like squad leader. Well, not a squad leader, but I was a guide because I was a squad leader. Then I became the guide. So much fucking responsibility. We dude. love more responsibility without matching pay, right? Right. Yeah, of course. And they're like, so you're going to do this, 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 and this, and this. And I was like, what the fuck, dude? You know, and I was, I mean, I, I didn't. Can I get least shit on a little less? Bro, I, like, no. I didn't. I didn't. I had like three friends my that deployment. Yeah. Everybody I talked to, I couldn't be friends with them because I had to like, you're doing something bad. You got to do, you, you gotta, you're fucking up. You know what I mean? Like get that. Yeah. You, I had to be a leader, dude. I couldn't be like a friend. You know what I mean? Like Makes you sense. Can, yeah. you know, I, I had my be, friends that were my rank. Cordial, right? I was cordial, but I was not friendly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, because yeah. I had a job that I was really stressed out, bro. Like I was the front truck. I had to get out every day to go look at. The, I had to do this. I, yeah. I, did, I was very stressed out, so I didn't really give a fuck about trying to be friends with people. I just want to stay alive. My friends were already my friends from being back home. You know, yeah. like my, the corporal. So, can you imagine how even more handsome you would be if you weren't that stressed out? Oh, dude. Just I'm, be game over, you know. Ah, uh, dude. Yeah. So I might, my, my, I wouldn't be balding. That, that'd be for sure. I would not be balding. That's oh, for is, sure. Is that why the, the hair is that way? Oh, uh, I mean, my hair is short because I'm balding. If I wasn't <laughs> balding, my hair would be long like your shit. I couldn't dude. even, I couldn't even tell. No, dude, it's, yeah, it's there for sure. What my girlfriend says, I put product in my hair. It kind of covers up a little bit. So, well, perks of being tall, you know. Hey, kind of was that, but I look down, be like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> the fuck is this? The what is that is on that? his head? The fuck are you? So they try to smack it away and they smit me in the head. I'm like, what the fuck? No, but um, basically. We got to this wadi and I couldn't. The my my lieutenant was like, "All right, we were we were bringing these Navy CBs up from Leatherneck to Nowzad." Oh, that's right. a fun route. Yeah, it was a f- terrible fucking route and mm, fucking shithole. Yeah, we had we we were from Leatherneck to Nowzad. We got past Route One. We were up into the into the mountain. We were getting in like the valley. We were on our way to Nowzad. We were like maybe like an hour, maybe like thirty minutes away from Nowzad. Right. First fucking first mission for us as a. After ripping, this is our first mission as a complete unit, right? Alone and alone, unafraid. Alone, alone and unafraid, first mission as a unit. And we get to, like, a, the wadi, and I'm like, all right, well, I have to make the decision, go left or go right. Yeah. And my lieutenant's like, make the decision. You know, that's this, Sir, th- this th- is th- your th- fucking th- call. <laughs> and my lieutenant, that, I'll have to go into that a different – my lieutenant was a fresh lieutenant from engineer school because we yeah. had a lieutenant – who ended up getting a disease and he wasn't allowed to deploy. Oh shit. So we got a new lieutenant who looked exactly like Dolph Lundgren. Oh shit. And his call sign 
was Drago. <laughs> That's fair. It's fucking cool. Yeah. And he was a defensive end for Purdue, I'm pretty sure. Like <laughs> Jesus. He was a big fucking guy. He was cool, man. He was really, old, really cool. And he sack. was like, I've never been to Afghanistan. You guys have. I don't want to step on your toes. So no. do you, do the job the right way. And when I get comfortable, I'm going to start to, you know, bring bring myself into the fold. I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and scoot my way out on the dance floor. I was like, fuck yeah, yeah. dude. Cool, bro. You can let me do whatever I want. I'm not going to have an LT breathing on my neck on these missions, right? Yeah. So I was really happy for this deployment. Really happy for what could be. You know what I mean? But, of course, this is how the tone This Now the tone is being set with this mission. Navy CB truck, their tire goes out. So I'm like, all right, I'm a lead truck. I'll volunteer to go back there. I'll go provide them security. We go out. We go back there. They say they start taking contact. I'm like, what the fuck? I, I hop out. I hop out. They're taking contact. My gunner takes care of the of the military age male, you know, what, however many meters yeah. away in the bushes with the AK. Takes care of him. 240, 50, uh, he, With a 50 cal. Oh, fucking yeah, love it. Was, it. The, it was amazing, dude. So boom, boom, got him. And then they, they change a tire and we took off. And it was a funny, really, really funny. I tell a story at a time that I got out. I'm like, hey, what's up, CBs? And they're like, oh, what's going on, man? And all, and all I hear is pat, pat, pat. And I'm like, oh, and I turn around to like look back yeah. to like where the shots are coming from. Yeah. And I start walking over to the mine roller. And like I look behind me to like to, the, to see where like where the CBs are. Yeah. And they're fucking gone. Like there was like six of them and I can't see their feet. I can't see them. I don't know where they went. Oh, shit. I mean, they they like they literally like jumped into the cabin of the seven ton. Dude. Oh, All shit. Of them. my mind was like, oh, fuck. They got they got pucked. They're going to be in orange jumpsuits. It's going to be my fault. Oh, no, dude. They were like, they were so fucking scared. Yeah. They literally like I turned around to see where the shots were coming from. And then I turned around and asked them if they were good. And they were gone. Just after sh- after shadow. Just they were fucking gone. Dude. Yeah. I was, ah. like, I was like, what is going on? But ah. yeah, exactly. So I get to the I get to the, like the the where we're going and I'm like all right left or right now if we go left there's a high cornfield and it's on the edge of a wadi yeah so if we if we go along this edge we could get hit by an IED and then it will drop our vehicle over into this like ten foot drop off into this wadi yeah and I'm not doing that yeah, yeah I was yeah. like I don't want to do that I'm gonna go the easy way it's my first mission you know I'm gonna I don't want to go that way because I'm thinking to myself. They're going to roll us down the fuck. I don't want to roll down a hill after I get hit by an ID. Yeah. I'd rather go down a wadi and get hit by an ID, you know? Yeah. So we go through the wadi. We get two huskies through the wadi. And as soon as both huskies are through, the second one gets hit by an ID. Fucking A. I'm like, God damn it, dude. Of course. Sure enough, right? And as soon as that one gets hit by an ID. It's always the third Vic. Right. It was the second one. and Because there was three. So the convoy was here. Yeah. We pushed the three vehicles up here to see left or right. And, yeah. I, and I said, ah, I'm not going to go left. Let's go right. So us three went right. And after the second Husky went through the Wadi, it got hit. And we, mind you, we're the only truck up here now. Oh, the whole convoy is still back here. So the Wadi's up here. The two compounds are basically to our left. Yeah. And our truck starts taking contact. Like it's tinging and pinging on our fucking metal and shit. And we're like, I was like, what the? F-? Yeah. I was like, fuck. I mean, it's like ting, ting on yeah. the, you know, it's pinging and tinging on our fucking truck. And I was like, fuck me, dude. And I'm sitting in a VC seat. And the dude comes on the radio. He's like, yo, I'm good. You know, the blast. I'm good to go. He's in a yeah. Husky. You know what I mean? He's like, I'm good to go. Um, I looked to my left and my 50 cal gunner. I'm like, yo, dude, you need to hop on that shit. And he's already, bup, 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 he's already bup, get bup, in bup, it. Bup. And then maybe about six seconds into this, <clears throat> maybe, maybe five. It wasn't long. This yeah. kid pops up like in the field, right? Like the con- compound here, compound here. We're taking fire from both. Kid pops up in the middle. So you have kind of like a V in front of you at like 45 degree one way he's, compound, 45 degree the other way compound. He's in the middle. And he's in the middle. Yeah, right. And he pops up with an AK. Oh, fuck. And you're like, what are we doing, dude? Why is that happening right now? Yeah. And I can see him. He's he's less than 100 yards away from me. Really, bro? This is how you feel about life right now? This is like, how he felt this, about life. This is how life. you feel about life? <clears throat> right, exactly. So you're going to make me do this? <laughs> right. And basically, again, we're taking contact. And it's our first mission, and we already took contact earlier in the day. You know what I mean? I and I know we can handle this shit. And I'm like, yo, I look up at my gunner. And I'm like, yo, bro, take care of that shit now. Like, Bye. get it done because yeah. we need to get out of this truck. We need to go up there and get, we need to go get a medevac for this fucking guy because he just got hit by an ID. By the farm. We, like, get, let's let's go. And he goes, all right. He he takes that fifty, bro. And that's just something I'll I'll never forget. And this is why we started talking about the subject because I'll never forget this. Right. The kid was standing there. He was about 11 or 12. He was standing there with his AK. And I remember watching him as these rounds walked 
these 50 cal rounds walked into him, like walking up to him. Yeah. And I remember watching him hit the dirt in front of him, and he did not, he was so fucking solid. He didn't move. Unflinching. Unflinching. He did not move, dude. And these rounds just boom, 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 boom. And then when that one hit, it hit him right around the belly button area. And basically, his top half of his body ended up like somersaulting, cartwheeling, like to the left of my view. And his lower half of his body completely shot like a fucking rocket to the right oh shit like it went like his whole ha- lower half of his body went shot to the right and his whole upper half of his body cartwheeled in how the fucking skinny air. was him he was a little 12 year old afghani kid dude i, I have no idea okay because I've, I've seen 50 cows do some gnarly fucking damage like a foam book dipped in red kool-aid and split in half but like i've never seen anybody ripped in half by a 50 i mean we had um i don't know if we had slap rounds or regular ball rounds but, it had um, to have been slap rounds by that point in time. It had. Right? I mean, I know we had slap rounds in my first appointment. I just don't remember yeah. what we had in my second. But I do. I do. I do remember that. That watching that. That I'll never forget, bro. That that kid, how he split like that, and how how aggressive it was, and how visceral that whole that whole exchange was. I mean, it was a ten second ordeal. You know, it was like ten fucking seconds. And yeah. It's something that that uh, that I can. I can probably like I could write a whole movie about it, you know what I mean it's fucking yeah. crazy bro like it's but that that image of him standing there in the dirt walking into him you know that's the image that I see and it's that image of the dirt walking in and then it's the image of his body going like this like because you were at an way. elevated position right? yeah I was like I was in the VC seat I'm looking over like this and my driver is sitting right here you know he my driver's yeah. sitting right here and he's to your, to your He's kind of like, look, you know, MRAP windows are like this. You know, you can kind of see out. You know, you can both yeah, see like out. Yeah, they're like large pizza boxes. Right. I'm looking out, and I can see the field across the wadi because we're here. The wadi's here. The field's here. So I'm looking right over there. I'm looking right at him, dude. Yeah. I'm like, I can see the compound, compound. He's right there. And I mean, this is boom, 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 bop. And then it just, he up that way and fuck that way. And I was like, fuck, dude. This is the first mission we're out here, right? And yeah. I was like, fuck. NCIS came out, bro, because the... Um, I guess his dad or one of those dudes that was shooting at us in a compound or whatever yeah. picked up his body and brought it to the base up in Nowzad and tried saying that like we killed their kid like like un unjustly unjustly and but stuff. he was shooting at you guys he was shooting at us and stuff yeah and um, you know my lieutenant came up to me and he's like hey what happened yeah he's like tell me what happened and I told him everything you know what happened you know what, what was because like I said we were only three trucks up here everybody else was way back here so after it all happened, yeah. they were all like, "What's going on? What the f- wh- what's going on?" And we we're like, "Oh, this all this shit happened in a matter of like fifteen seconds, you know? Like it was." But then we had we were at the base, and now that we had some NCIS people come out there, and they spoke to the lieutenant, and that was it, and it was that was it, and it was done. Yeah, because they're real quick to do um, gunshot residue tests on on casualties. So I mean, if you're not in the brig, then clearly they, you know, they they found gunshot residue on his hands. So like, oh, I mean, there was yeah. it was a whole it was a whole ordeal. I mean, the whole that whole night, I was like, what the fuck, bro? Like, what are we doing? Like, why are they? Yeah, what is this? Like, the kid had a fucking gun. Like, I don't know how to how to how to say that other than like. I wrote it in the after action report and all this other stuff. You know what I mean? He fucked around he f- and he found out. Exactly. You yeah. know, this is not what you do when you see a big ass up gun. Do you know what I mean? What, what his dad and his uncle or whoever the fuck was shooting at us, what they were doing. Okay. They were behind some mud hell wall shooting through spider holes. Yeah. That's how they fight right through the fucking yeah. spider holes because they know they can just put their gun down. They can walk out the door of the rake and we can't shoot them. They know exactly, that. Exactly. Yeah. They know that. So, they they fight through the spider holes and they know that like our ball rounds sometimes don't go through those big thick mud walls because those mud walls have been drying and since heating Alexander and drying and heating since Alexander the fucking great yeah. and they just had mud and mud and mud stack on top of those so they've just been baking and getting ch- and being strengthened yeah. through the weather they've been weathered you know so the slap rounds go through them like nothing but ball rounds they don't right yeah. so they'll that's a good it's a good d- defensive position at some point at some point so that was the first time. That I saw something where I was like, fuck. Yeah. You know, like, <gasps> yeah, like, this is not good, dude. Like, I was like, this is not good, right? And then we went another, like, a week or two, three weeks with being, uh, just finding IEDs and, you know, going on patrols and doing whatever and nothing really, not, not, nothing really big. And then the next time we were at, um, it was called, you can actually look it up on YouTube. It's called Operation Black Sand. Yeah. Operation Black Sand, and it was, I want to say it was like May, 
May, May, May, maybe June of 2011. Yeah. But basically, there was this bazaar that killed. Um, it actually, it, it triple amped one of my good friends. Oh shit, dude! It triple amped a, a, one of my good friends was a dog handler at the time, and it killed a few of our marines. I'm sorry um, to hear that. It's you know it's it's, it's, it's fuck you know it's fucking war. And what do you job? Yeah, you, yeah, what are you gonna do? You know, it's just, it, it does suck, but for sure. But so that was a line platoon, right? And when our battalion got to Afghanistan, our battalion commander said, "You want to kill my marines." I'm going to wipe your whole fucking bazaar off the face of the earth. Oh, wow. And that's a fucking fact. Have you ever heard of a Miklik? You've heard of yeah. a Miklik charge with ABVs and shit? Yeah. So Operation Black Sand was essentially like the very last ABV hurrah with the Marine Corps. Okay. Um, basically, we shot off, I think it was like 69 or 72 Mikliks in a span of like six days. Oh, wow. And you know those. Those are about 1,500 pounds or 1,700 pounds of C4 per string. Yeah, for those who don't know, they're basically like these big, like almost pelican case esque things that have like an actuator that just yeet these strings that are like littered with C four like Christmas lights, and they're essentially used for like route clearance. So if you if you have to like cross a danger area and you think that there's like a minefield there or something, you essentially blow the fuck up out of the earth and detonate anything that's hazardous there. But you know they're a very violent tool of destruction. Yeah. No, they're, they're very, it's very impressive. Um, so we dropped about 69 or 72. It was like 69 or 72. I don't remember the exact number. It might have been 71, but we dropped that many in a span of about yeah. six, six days. And they weighed 1,700 pounds? 1,700 pounds of C4, yeah. Hey, could you give us uh, 1,700 times 70, and we'll figure out how many, uh, how many pounds of C4? Because uh, what... I don't think a lot of people realize we really only use like a quarter stick of C4 to like blow a door. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. And so when when you talk about like a pound of C4, what do we got? All right. So we're looking at, holy shit, 119,000 pounds of C4. No, my battalion commander was not fucking around, dude. Over 100,000 pounds of C4 in the span of a week was dropped on this bazaar? Yes. Please tell me all the women and kids were out. I know that they went there and they, they dropped pamphlets for the first like three weeks before we before they bombed it. Oh, okay, there it is. That's what okay. I was looking for. I know they did that. Yeah. I know they like, did don't that. Don't get me wrong. Like Marines are violent motherfuckers, but in Iraq and Afghanistan, like we had this like collar on where we had to be like, okay, like hey, get your shit and leave. Like the Marines yeah. are coming through in a week, you know. Like so it was. They I know that because we were doing a rock clearance to take the ABVs up there. Yeah, and then we had to clear the landing zone for the. Th- for three Ospreys to land in the Wadi. Yeah. Right. And with doing that, we were told, you know, we had to stop for like a couple times because ABVs or tracks and they kept getting fucked up on the way up there because, you know, the leatherneck to basically Musa Kayla, essentially. Terrible route. Right. Yeah. So um, going up there, it was a, it was a fucking shit show. But once we got up there, you know, we had to clear this route and that was the first time I ever, I ever experienced IDF. Yeah. And that was fucking terrible. And that was also the first time I ever saw somebody, a lieutenant, do something where I was like, fuck that guy for the rest of his life. Yeah. Fuck that guy. Because this is what happened. We got there. We're rock clearance. Front truck, right? They get there like, all right, we need a, we need a team, a sweep team to get out and go sweep the wadi and go, go sweep it all the way down to the, to the, to hit the choke point. And then sweep back so we can land three Ospreys in this little area right here, right? Just yeah. Case, whatever needs to happen. So, all right. So me and my boy, me and my buddy Presley, and this other dude, um, I won't say his name in here, but he he got out and he was he was only there because he was part of the platoon that lost some guys. Yeah. So he was only there to watch this bazaar get leveled off the earth. He was only there to like take pictures and bring it back to the families who like lost their family. You know what I mean? Yeah. He was only there to like document this shit, right? And so at this point they had already leafleted, like all the non combatants had left, and now it was like time to be about the business. Yeah, now it's time we're now we're we're here. Yeah. We're fucking you up, right? Like, it's done. And basically, me, it was me, my buddy Presley, and this other dude to get out. And we started sweeping this wadi. And this lieutenant was like, ah, I need I need somebody to come sweep over here because I want this area around my truck to, like, for myself. Yeah. It's not, like, the mission, but okay. So this, the third guy goes over there and does it. You know, the guy's not saying he's supposed to be, like, working, right? He's yeah. just supposed to be here documenting. He goes over there. Me and my boy keep sweeping in the wadi. 
Uh, a minute and a half later, we hear an explosion. Oh, fuck. And it's him. And the lieutenant wanted a nice little area around his vehicle to walk around in because he's a fucking moron. Why? Can't you just sit in your fucking car or your vehicle? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but regardless, that this guy went over there and he lost his, uh, he lost, well, I think it was one of his legs or both his legs, but, you know, all because the lieutenant wanted some comfortability. Right? So fuck that guy forever. Um, so we started, so after that, then we really had to call in a medevac. We had to get this done now because this fucker, this, this guy has to go. You know, he has to yeah. get out of here because now he's wounded. So we had to hurry up. And basically, you know, when you're sweeping a, a wadi with, like, river rocks, there's not going to be IEDs, dude. I mean, from my personal experience, yeah, it's going to be very hard to, think, to, to bury an IED in river rocks. Yeah. And for it to be actually, for it to trigger and go off. And particularly for it to like not have a large amount of disturbed earth and ant trails. You're going to see it. Exactly, dude. Yeah. It's, it's very, so in my, my, lo- my logical thinking was like, this dude needs to get on a bird. These are river rocks. There's going to be an IED. I'm going to see it for sure. Yeah. River rocks have gaps. You can see through river rock essentially. You know what I'm saying? They're only this big. Yeah. It's, you know, it's you, know, you have a yellow jug and pressure plate, you're going to see that shit. With dirt, it's so much easier. You know what I mean? You throw the, the excess dirt away and you put it in a hole and you cover it back up with dirt and you can never tell after it rains or a, after a day or two. You know what I mean? Yeah, especially in like the brown zone, you know? Right. Like if there's not a lot of vegetation, it's a lot easier to, to, to hide ant trails and all that stuff, you know? Right. So um, <clears throat> various indicators. Yeah. So we we're sweeping a river, dude. And. We get up to that choke point where the river basically makes, you know, like you know, comes to a choke and then opens back up to yeah. another section of the river or whatever. But it's a dried out river. It's a wadi. So we get it to the end and that's when they start dropping IDF on us. Oh, shit. And we're like, me and my boy are sweeping. And mind you, all the all the trucks are stationed over here. And we've already swept all this way down to here to this yeah. choke point. Now that we're here, they're trying to like walk these rounds onto us. Right. Because we're out on the ground. And as we're out there, they're walking these rounds on. And I'm looking at my buddy and he's like, bro, let's get the fuck out of here. And I'm like, bro, I'm with you on that. Because now you've seen, um, you've seen Band of Brothers. Yeah. And the Battle of Bastogne or the, the, ba- the, the Battle of the Bulge when they're in the woods. Yeah. And those trees are splintering like yeah. that. That is literally how this shit happened. No shit. Like the trees, there is one, like one or two trees. Like, so on a choke point like this, there's like trees on the edges like this, right? This tree got fucking annihilated dude like just splinters i mean it just i mean and i was like that's when me and him were like we literally grabbed our metal detectors and just picked them up and we just ran back to the trucks dude and i was like fuck that because idf i don't fuck with that shit bro i don't i don't like that i'll I'll go look for ieds i'll get shot all day but dude i do not fuck with idf bro i do not fuck with it i was on bagram and i was walking into a chow hall um that same deployment and a and a and a like an eighty millimeter IED dropped in the entrance of the chow hall as we were walking into it. No shit. I swear to God, dude. Wow. Me and my buddy Angel and buddy Haas went to Green Bean Coffee at like twelve o'clock at night. And you know the chow halls, they only open at midnight with sandwiches. Yeah. They're not open with like hot food. And we we're like, yo, we got some coffee. Let's get some sandwiches. We're only in Bagram for like two weeks, or let's go get some you know, let's get some sandwiches. It's late, you know? Yeah. And we're like, all right, and as we were walking, we got our coffee, we we're walking, and I heard the whistle. And I always I was taught from a Marine, uh, prior Marine I was in Fallujah and Ramadi and stuff. He goes, Listen, yeah, if you hear the whistle, you're gonna be all right. But if you don't hear it, you're dead. And I was like, I don't know how that I don't know, I don't know, I don't listen, because the only time I've ever encountered IDF these two times, right? And both times I heard the whistle. So I was like, all right, you know, whatever. But this time I did hear the whistle and I heard it as we were walking to Chow Hall. And I was like, what the fuck is that? And I was thinking to myself, and as soon as I heard it, I thought, what is that? And then my mind goes, that's a bomb. And then it landed in the Chow Hall, like on the entrance, and it blew shit up. And I mean, it blew us back. And there's like a little chapel that was next to the Chow Hall. And the chapel had, I have pictures on my computer, just holes all in the chapel, dude. And I was like, yeah. I was like, dude, how the fuck do we not have anything on us? Like, how did a piece of that shrapnel not hit us? So, you know, like fireworks looking shit. Yeah. That's like how it looked because all the little metal pieces of the shrapnel were just flying out everywhere. And I was like, fuck, dude. Yeah. I had my face buried in the sandbags every time I ever got IDF. So I don't, I don't, I don't know what the impacts look like. Bro, it was like, and there was a, there was a chef, a, 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 um, this guy came running out, bro. He had a, he was an African American guy. He had a, his, his whole stomach was cut open from one of the pieces of shrapnel, bro. And he was holding his stomach. He was screaming and shit as he was running out of the chow hall. Yeah. And my buddy Angel, who's actually a police officer now in Georgia, 
he like assessed that guy and he like you know took care of rendered first aid yeah, yeah man which is really cool you know and you know that we were out we were at like a school doing like training right we we're at um uh, like a route rec- route reconnaissance sapper course yeah like an army sapper course for uh the the marine corps so we could like legally bip these ieds so we yeah. don't have to wait on eod and shit so um we were there for like two weeks but when that happened it was fucking shitty dude but my buddy angel yeah he's He's cool as fuck, man. I'm, I'm really happy that, you know, he's like a cop now. He's like doing, you know, he's like. Yeah, and taking care of the society. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Because he's, he's the type of person. He's, he, he, he does good shit. But, um, but it's, it's crazy how, you know, you form these relationships in the military and you have all these extreme, intense uh, experiences with each other. And then, you know, once you get home and you turn in your rifle and your body armor and everyone goes their separate ways. Because even if you do 20 years, you'll be 38 to 42 by the time you get out, most people. Right. You still got a whole life ahead of you. And so once we, you know, once we hang it up and go uh, back into the normal world, if you will, uh, things like um, these shared memories, things like uh, literature, your poems, the, uh, the podcast, the memes, these are all the things that kind of brings the community back together where we're able to you know, recall these you know intense memories that may be very difficult for people who don't have that mind frame to understand. Right. And that's one of the things that we appreciate so much about, you know, veteran artists that, you know, go out and you create these things that, uh, you know, bring us back together. Yeah. I really, I mean, <clears throat> I appreciate um, everything that the veteran community has basically given me <clears throat> in turn of me, like writing my poetry has given me so much more than like I've ever really expected. I mean, I've met so many people and done so many great things with not like great things. Like, Oh, I've done great things. But I mean, like I've done great things with people that are like, I would have never done before if I never would have done poetry and stuff. And I'm really, I'm really happy that, you know, people have taken a liking to it and have basically accepted it for what it is and allowed me to continue, even though I like, I don't make any money from it. You know what I mean? I, I can't, I can't live off writing. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I can keep doing it. You know, I don't I I'm not trying to live off of it. I'm trying to to do it so well, one, day, one day, yeah. one day I can live off it. You know, that's what that's so that's like a one that's not why I wrote out of here, but that's why I, I, I forced myself to sit down and write the story because yeah. I want I want people to know my voice other than poetry, right? I want people to know my my fictional, my action adventure voice, my this whole other side of me that, um, you know, can do, can hopefully do the same thing, but like on a larger scale than a veteran community can bring, you know, people together, right? Like they can read Adahi. There can be like an Adahi fan club. There's so much going on in this book, dude, that like, I really think that, you know, it's for so many different people. I mean, it's for people who everybody really, man. So, uh, where can our listeners find you, uh, your website, your social media? Yeah. So my, my website is, uh, jtecollection.com and you can also just google justin eggen e-g-g-e-n you just google that and my whole thing just pops right up right there and uh my website pops up and you can also go to amazon and search justin eggen um and if you want to find me on social media i am on instagram at justin thomas eggen that's J-U-S-T-I-N-T-H-O-M-A-S-E-G-G-E-N. Right on. Well, thank you so much uh, for sharing uh, your stories with us and coming to join us today. And, um, you know, as as you document this uh, historical fiction, uh, we promise you guys some actual uh, history facts that uh, may blow your mind a little bit. And so I'll, uh, I'll pull some of these uh, through for you guys. So one of the first ones is that woolly mammoths were still alive when Egyptians were building the pyramids in the year uh, 2660 before Christ. That's wild, dude. So woolly mammoths and the the pyramids existed at the same time. Wow. And um, there there is a study out there that shows that um, you know the the construct of the pyramids were a lot different than what conventional uh, wisdom would say. So, but I'll, I'll leave that up to you guys to uh, to research. All right, what else? Uh, Oxford University existed hundreds of years before the Aztec Empire was founded in 1428. What? Yeah. Oxford University um, uh, was established sometime around 
I think, uh, year 1000. Wow. And then the Aztec Empire was founded in 1428. Oh, shit, dude. I thought the Aztecs yeah. are way older than that. Yeah, that's what it feels like, right? Yeah. Uh, Orville Wright was still alive when Hiroshima and Nagasaki were bombed. Wow. So the man, you know, who, one of the co-founders of aviation. Flight, yeah. Yeah. Um, he got to see on his uh, newspaper or on his television uh, his invention being used to deliver uh, atomic weapons. Oh, my God. And although he did regret the unfortunate loss of life that war causes, he um, he felt that his invention was akin to fire, where although there are destruction, uh, destructive properties that come with it, that the uses for it, uh, the good uses far outweigh the destruction and that it's something that can be used for uh, good in the world, and you basically hope that it wasn't just used for destruction. That's pretty cool, honestly. That's, that's yeah. actually really not. That's that's. Shit, it was man. a good way to look at it. You yeah. Know? The uh, first iteration of the fax machine was invented the same year the first wagon crossed the Oregon Trail in 1843. What the fuck? So the first uh, version of the fax machine was like a telegraph that would like print something out. Oh, okay. So you could like put it into the machine and it would like telegraph and then it would put it on paper on the other side. So that would eventually evolve into what we know as like the Xerox uh, style uh, you, fax machine. You think that like technology has grown so much in the last hundred years, but you know you you don't really think about technology in the last three hundred years, right? Like, yeah. About stuff that we don't even really think that could you know, like cameras and shit. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Can I thought you can't even the last years ago, sixty no. years? You know? Yeah, dude. For to the point, uh, the a new hope. Uh, came out the same year as the last guillotine execution in France, 1977. Dude. Did they record that? I want to see that. (laughs) Possibly. Um, Fuck, who was the guy? Um, I I can see his face. He was in in Lord of the Rings. He played... Sean Bean? No, not Sean Bean. He was also in Star Wars. Uh, Dooku? Could you look at... Oh, Christopher Lee. Oh, Christopher Lee? Okay. I think that's his name. That's his name? Funny enough, uh, actor Christopher Lee, who was himself, you know, uh, super badass from World War II, yeah, yeah. Uh, Lord of the Rings, you know, he played Count Dooku. He was actually at that execution. No. And then he would later go on to uh, play the um, antagonist in uh, the revival of the series and the prequels, Count Dooku. Dude. That guy's pretty cool. Yeah. That guy lived a great fucking life. Crazy life, right? Crazy fucking life. And so to bring it back to center, as we love to do here in the smoke pit... George Washington died in 1799. The first dinosaur fossil was discovered in 1824, thus stating that George Washington never knew that dinosaurs existed. I bet if he did, he'd be like, what the fuck is that thing, dude? It probably is some shit that he had imagined from putting the, the hemp seed in his dentures yeah. and just drinking <laughs> mead. He, he's out there smoking hemp seeds, pissing on a fucking cherry tree instead of chopping it down. He's like... Mm-hmm. What I'm is sure, that? I'm sure glad there weren't any giant fucking lizards here. <laughs> dude, I, I can't even imagine, man. My kid loves dinosaurs. I can't imagine how like people back then would think about dinosaurs, dude. Like, Yeah, for real, man. Holy it, shit. It just begs the question, what do we think is a, a truth now that people in 100 years will will uh, laugh at us for not knowing? Right, yeah. Yeah. Like so, aliens and shit, dude. Like we, think, like we obviously know that they're there, but we don't. And maybe in 100 years, there's like a whole sort of like exploration like period of like 10 years where like yeah. the aliens come here and they're like, hey, what's up? You, we don't want to kill you guys, but like stop fucking around nuclear shit. Yeah, yeah, for yeah real. I don't know. Uh, it'll probably be something to the effect of like, man, can, can you believe that, you know, people prior to the summer of 69 didn't eat ass like right, yeah. amateurs? <laughs> fucking amateurs. What a bunch of amateurs, dude. <laughs> Grab me a fucking snorkel, dude. We're going butt diving, dude. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, fair winds, following seas, and we'll see you next time here in the Smoke Pit. Bye.